Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 189th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that was extended way before it was cool. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everybody. How are you this fine night? Uh, my brain hurts because I've been doing way too much math about Rona Drain. We did just spend the last hour discussing this. Uh, hopefully give you guys some good insight once we get to the other side of this. But let's just jump right in here. Um, our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. People joining every week. They're having a real great time. You should be joining them too. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on the agenda this week? Well, James, this week we have a show in four parts. Segment one, our top movers, we'll talk about the cards that have moved the most in price this past week. Segment two, our cards to watch, cards James and I, uh, I think, have a good outlook. Segment three, metagame week in review. There's a modern league from today that we can take a peek at. And segment four, our topic of the week, the rarity of the Throne of Eldraine product now that we have collectors, boosters, in hands, getting cracked, starting to see what we're looking at. What does it actually mean? Uh, let's start here to segment one, our top movers. First card of the week, we've got Veil the Summer here out of Core 2020, 450 to 650. Not a huge jump, uh, but still a pretty decent improvement. And uh, Where have you been seeing this show up, James? Uh, Veil of Summer is a pretty strong sideboard card in standard right now. I'm doing a lot of work and just one of several core 2020 cards that have popped off given their importance in the format. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Um, following that also is Legion's End, also out of core 2020. A dollar and change to two and change. Looks like it's doing some work against Field of the Dead in standard because um, it allows you to hit all of the players, all of your opponent's tokens. And Golos Field of the Dead is all over the place, which is leaving players scrambling for answers. Yeah, exile target creature and opponent controls with converted mana cost to or less, and all other creatures that player controls with the same name as that creature uh, can be pretty useful if they're fielding 10 or 20 zombies a turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, following that, Alpine Moon out of core 2019, so we're going back a year, 6 to 11. Uh, we're seeing this show up more and more in modern. Um, Alpine Moon is like the quote-unquote fixed blood moon. It's only one mana, and it prevents lands from making more than one mana, and they lose all their abilities. They just turn into Birds of Paradise lands and tap for any color mana. Um, 6 to 11 on the foils. I don't... I'm not, I feel like I'm not in a rush to sell the foils here. Nope, because it's a core set. It's a core set foil rare. It's only a year old. 
it's already rotated at a standard, so it doesn't have any downward pressure there. And these are probably just going to keep appreciating because it's a single. It's probably got two or three more years before it sees a reprint. Yeah, yeah, it's the same boat I'm in. Uh, next on the list, we got Paradoxical Outcome, one of the few modern cards on the move this week. Uh, $2 to $4. That's on the back of Urza and Emery and Modern, looking like one of the better decks. I think one of the bigger tournaments last weekend, it was three of the top eight. Um, deck looks pretty strong. Um, definitely was moving playsets this week at four for 20, so a little better than this would suggest. And I have a feeling we're going to be able to get exits between 20 and 30 a playset pretty shortly here. This deck is looking legitimate. I had a good weekend, both at the Star City team open, um, and I know that it's been a fan of some pros on Twitter, and it sounds like that's could end up getting also merged with like the Jeskai Ascendancy type build. There's all sorts of action going on here, but um, basically... Emery encouraged people to play Mox Amber, which plays well with Mox Opal. And now you're, you know, you also probably want your uh, Arkham's Astrolab. You want your uh, Mishra's Bobble. And once you've kind of gone down that road, like each card is pulling you, pulling in one additional card that pairs well with it, you end up with a deck that just screams paradoxical outcome. Yeah. Uh, we've got Cavalier of Flame on the list, going from three to six. I know there's a bunch of pro traders that'll be excited to see their bricks from Europe that they picked up around, I think, a dollar fifty or something, um, turn into solid buy list plays so soon. Along with several of the other cards on the, this list, actually, this is from the Fires of Invention, Fae of Wishes deck that's been doing pretty decently in standard. Uh, I think on the Magic Online meta right now, it is the second most played deck. Uh, yeah, it looks like that's about right. Um, and the deck often runs uh, two or three uh, of this particular uh, knight, uh, the Cavalier of Flame. In some of the builds, some of the other ones, uh, the Jeskai Control builds don't run it at all. So it's not clear to me whether it ha how strong of a future it has, um, and I certainly like using the buy list while the getting is good. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm getting paid hard on buy lists especially on cards that are a little more flaky, is always pleasing. Next card on the list doesn't seem like it's going anywhere, uh, at least for the time being, although I have my worries about the banner restricted announcement after the Pro Tour. Field of the Dead, Core 2020, $4 to $8. This is a card that people laughed at um, back in the summertime. Pretty sure I called this card back. Let's see what week that was. I'm going to go on record that I was not a fan of this card. I didn't think it was that good. Even with even with uh, Scape Shift in the format, I think at the time we knew about. But to be fair, it didn't even really do anything until Golos was printed, right? Like Golos was the card that triggered Field of the Dead. I don't think anyone was playing this in Standard before that. They're from the same set, so. The, the what is it? Something the, the information people weren't playing this. Well, people people, people weren't sure that it was going to be good after Scape Shift rotated. They assumed that the deck was dead when Scape Shift left the format, but turns out oh, Golos is enough. Hmm. Well, 
I'm not wrong. Somehow, somehow this works out that I'm not wrong. I don't know what the. <laughs> I picked up a brick of foils in Europe around three fifty, three eighty, something like that, that are doing pretty well right now. So I'm pleased, and I'm not going to be sitting on them for much longer because even though the card is also good in modern and sees some play there uh, alongside uh, Primeval Titan, obviously, um, I'm I'm worried about that standard ban coming down the track if the deck keeps doing as well as it has been. It was absolutely dominant last weekend. Yeah, it does sound like it's making people pretty miserable. And we had the ban restricted list update today. Of course, it didn't come off. It didn't get added. I don't think anyone could reasonably expect it to get added. It's just been way too fast. Obviously, they're not going to ban a card a week outside of the set release. But if we continue to see endless Golo smears, it could definitely cause a problem. Um, And I don't know if you caught this, James, but there were stats that came out of uh, one of these events this past weekend and it was looking at it was something like two and a half hours over time over the course of saturday like every round was like 20 minutes over time or 30 minutes over time Ridiculous. and it just and it yeah accumulated an extra two and a half hours on the day so if it was supposed to end at six o'clock seven o'clock now it's ending at eight or nine thirty um, which is pretty rough my, uh, for tournament logistics my understanding is that that's because food is a major drag on the timelines in the format um, it gives you too much space to outmaneuver the uh, aggro decks, and everything's turning into a grind fest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which makes sense, right? So, like I, I understand how that comes to pass, but uh, yeah. In any case, Field of the Dead's probably a good ditch because you're not clear how much longer you're going to get away with it, um, and people might. It might not be long before people start going, uh, yeah, this has got a target that's on its head. I'm not buying into this. Well, and standard may just become a lame duck format where nobody's buying cards anymore because they're convinced. It'd be like when Theros had mono blue and mono black and everybody gave up. Um, right. So the call was originally July 23rd, 2019, episode 178, Field of the Dead to go two to five. So, ding. Good job. Good job. Uh, let's see, what else is on the agenda this week? We also have Darksteel Forge Foils. This is the original pack foil of the Darksteel itself. Um, 25 to 90 in theory. I could, I could imagine you could start getting 40, 50, 60, 70, basically whatever the buyer will bear on the basis that these foils are just impossible to find. And I think it's caught a single reprint along the way, but I'm not sure if it had a foil. Was it a course? Uh, uh, Darksteel Forge, I don't know about. It looks like... Uh, Maybe Magic 20, uh, it was Plane Chase and Magic 2014. That's what it was. Magic 2014. Yeah. So, so the only foil was 20, Magic 2014. So that explains things. The original pack foil is quite old, and the only other foil printing was a relatively low print run. Yeah, I think we definitely... I, I have purchased and sold these before, so I don't know if we talked about them or if I just noticed they were cheap someplace and grabbed them. But that this card is familiar to me. Um... Finishing the week uh, over on Golos himself, non-foil is $1.50 or so to six. Uh, and I think you said, I don't know if it was on cast or off cast, but you said you grabbed a bunch of those at a good price. So that's exciting for you. Uh, again, I think you're out here as to just ship into a buy list now, you know, in tune with the uh, with the hype of the deck before either it becomes lame deck and no one wants to play or Wizards just bans Golos. Either way, you're not going to be happy to be hanging on to these. The Ghost is still like a strong, a solid long-term EDH card, but because he's five color, more limited in what he can be played in than a really good, say, green card in the format, 
Um, oh yeah, if he wasn't five color, he'd be he'd be good stuff. But that's a that's a real bummer. Yeah, I, I think the foils still have some legs longer term, but like maybe we get them real cheap after the standard deck is banned. Yeah, yeah, that's probably your best bet there. All right, let's jump right on into cards to watch this week. There's a basically the entire focus uh, of my list this week is related to the math we've been running on just how rare the extended art cards are that come out of the collector booster packs and pretty much nowhere else. So just to recap, there are basically four different places you can get collector boosters. You could have gotten one from your LGS if you were one of the lucky few that signed up early to buy a box of Throne of Eldrain, and you would have got a pack for free, which is pretty sweet, um, along with getting the buy box promo, Kenrith. So pretty pretty solid, probably the, the best value adds we've ever had at the LGS level for buying a box. So that's cool. Then there were uh, some people that pre-ordered entire boxes of these. That's 12 packs. Um, typically somewhere in the 300 to 350 range, um, although we got pro traders access to them at less than 200, which is, was a pretty huge win. Um, and then there's also uh, single packs on the shelves uh, at Walmart, Target, Barnes & Noble kind of thing uh, at like $25 to $30 a piece. And apparently people were ringing them up over the weekend at like $6 or something because they, uh, they were... A lot of the pricing systems were having price confusion with single packs that were at a higher price point. So thousands of packs evaporated off shelves this weekend as people uh, <laughs> took advantage of the sketchier side of retail math, <laughs> put it mildly. Um, and then we have the holiday gift bundle that's been announced, which has been a lame duck product in the past. And they're looking to juice it this year by putting one uh, collector booster pack in, in within each of those. Now, I don't know how that's going to affect the, the retail price of those. I would expect it to push it up, but I guess we'll see. Um, but the bottom line is once all of that evaporates and keep in mind, oh, sorry, there was the deluxe collection too. I forgot to mention the deluxe collection, of course, was the $450 product from last week. It had 16 packs in it. Um, although we're not, no one's really sure how much of those, how many of those sold. My best estimate is somewhere between two and 3000. Um, most of those opportunities to get these packs are now behind us. Now, I, we don't know how many more times the big boxes might restock. I suspect no more than once or twice throughout the fall. And then there's a chance we're going to get some other product to distract us before the end of the year. And if we don't, they've still got to move on to Theros products by late January. So we're only going to get a few months uh, of access for the collector boosters. And much of it is behind us is my key point. And I ran some math on this, which we'll talk about in segment four. But the bottom line is, I think some of these are really good buys. I'm going to start with Fabro Elder, um, the extended art foils. Out there in the market, around 40 bucks. If you can get some kind of a coupon on it, say via Cool Stuff's 5% off or somebody else 5 or 10% off on TCG or eBay or whatever, then I think you're in a really good shape for that to hit, say, 60 within 12 to 18 months. Um, it's going to be a pretty massive EDH card. It's basically another Bloom Tender. The only real downside to it is that it requires you to have white in your deck, which is not that big a deal. It's also been showing up as a four of in the five-color Niv-Mizzet deck in Modern, um, where it does uh, fulfills several tasks, um, fixing your mana and providing pips. Um, and so 
other versions, like the non-foil version, are under $10. I think those are probably pretty solid pickups, too, because I think they, I think we're going to find that with the good cards, the extended arts, as long as they don't get too expensive, are going to be the preferred... Um, I think people will pay a little extra to have a better frame that's not foil, so they don't, they don't have to worry about curling. Um, and that will be especially relevant for a card that has crossover in Modern and EDH, where... Something where like a foil masterpiece might not have appealed to the people that don't foil their decks. The non-foil extendeds give them a way of blinging out their deck by, say, spending twice as much instead of ten times as much. And I think that is an interesting uh, sweet spot we haven't had access to before, uh, for the most part, that people are going to push into over time. This is a lot here, um, but... You know, without delving, without just doing all of segment four here in the middle of segment two, uh, I think that if you're choosing extended art cards, the Fabro Elder is a very good choice. Um, definitely high up on EDH Rex page for Throne of Eldraine. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a fan there, and we know how popular that uh, oh, Bloom Tender has been in the past. So this is essentially the same card. You have an ultra rare version of it uh, for a for a reasonable price, right? Like we're talking about $40 foils. Compare that to Inventions foils, where very few of them are under $20 now. And it took a while for them to crawl that low. At the outset, like $30 and $40 was the, the floor for Kaladesh foils, and that was four cards that were very clearly not going to have any demand. So a card that's definitely going to see EDH play, uh, a $40 foil for the for the rarity here is is a strong position. Yeah. What's your first pick? Well, uh, I'm in the same boat here. Uh, we're all over these extended art cards. Um, I went a slightly different direction with Once Upon a Time. Um if you've been paying attention to any of the modern coverage so far, any of the discussions, you're well aware of this card. This is essentially uh, Ancient Stirrings, but it's free. <laughs> it's the first card you cast each game. Um, so, you know, Ancient Stirrings was decent, but what it really needed to be was free. That's what the card needs to see play. Uh, so the buy-in on these is a, a, is a chunk more. Uh, we're looking at 75 roughly, for the cheapest ones of these. And that price might drop by a couple bucks uh, over the next week you know if people get a little antsy to sell um, but it still faces the same issue of supply it's still a borderless foil rare rather than a showcased foil rare the impact of that will be more relevant a little later in the episode um and it's, it's already seen a bunch of modern play. If you paid attention to the modern results from this past weekend, there was a lot of Amulet Titan, and they were all playing Once Upon a Time. The card is very clearly doing work in that format. Uh, and, you know, I think that that's just the tip of the iceberg for this card. So we're looking at a pretty strong modern staple, probably some legacy action. I haven't looked closely, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it there as well. Um, I could, fr frankly, I could see this in non-green decks and legacy, depending on what you're doing. Uh, and you know, I don't expect to see it in standard, but it just seems like it's, or I don't expect to see it a lot in standard, but it seems like it's going to have a good amount of appeal in modern for a long time to come. So, uh, getting in on these at 75 or 80, I think you're probably in a reasonable position to grab them around, sell them around 150. 
honestly, would be my guess, uh, given how popular it seems so far. The non-foils, I don't have the price up right this instant, but I would guess that those are also a decent grab for the real competitive players who want a cool-looking card that won't bend. Yeah, so I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that Once Upon a Time is one of the top three rares in the set for multi-format, long-term staplehood. It's got to be Fable Passage, Once Upon a Time, and... uh, Emery um, as the top three. And, you know, the only concern here is it's a lot harder for a $75 card to push 150 than it is for a $40 card to push 80 But the demand for this, I expect, is going to spike it to that level. Like, I think you're going to get there. Um, and I don't, even yeah, think, even... I don't even think it'll take that long because it's already got a steep ramp. And that's crazy for how early on we are. And this isn't because... Even one. This isn't because we're so far from peak supply and you know, in six weeks, there's going to be way more of these on TCG. I actually think that I'd be surprised to see inventory fill in more than 50% beyond what it is at now. And we're seeing like mm. 20, 30 listings for some of these foil extended arts um, on TCG and basically tons of vendors all over North America already sold out with no easy means of resupply. Because unlike something that comes out of a booster pack, like boxes of Kaladesh were on order for months and months and months and months to fuel the people that wanted to go fishing for masterpiece inventions. Um, but the vendors don't have any access to order more collector booster boxes. It was a one-time thing through the distributors. They don't have access to the single packs, most of them, that are going uh, directly through one dis- basically one uh, wholesaler distributor that feeds the big box stores. So they're going to have probably have access to the holiday gift boxes, I would imagine, but that's like a single pack per box. So I don't think they're going to be cracking those for these packs. And even if they do, it's just not going to add that much supply to the market. Mm-hmm. And e- even if these get to 120 or 130, you're still happy, right? Oh, yeah. Like that's still a completely fine pickup. So even if they don't double, you're still getting a, a nice return on your dollar. And let's say that the the... Emery Urza deck is too good and they ban Paradoxical Outcome, for instance, in Modern um, in the next six months, then all those green decks that want to be using Once Upon a Time just get better and better. Mm-hmm. It's, it, I, I think the card is, is like we've talked about before, open-ended versatility, right? There's plenty of decks that are going to use it right now and there will probably be plenty of decks in the future that want it. It's just going to get better every time they print degenerate cards. It's just such an enabler for those strategies. So next on my list is the Wishclaw Talisman Extended Arts. Um, this is the non-foils, but the foils are are just as interesting as the rest. I think you get them around 35 but I think is like any of the $35 to $40 foil extendeds that have a future, um, I think they're all pickups. So, you know, season your portfolio to the taste of what you might actually play. Um, I, I've been way higher on Wishclaw Talisman than most people from the start. It 5 would a Legacy League this weekend in a deck that was running... Um, Guardian Beast as a four of. People are going to have to go look that up because it's usually thought of as an old school card. That's the two four that basically prevents your opponents from uh, uh, taking control of your artifacts. So when you you use the Wishclaw Talisman and it's supposed to pass to your opponent, Guardian Beast just says net 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 net, and you keep it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you. Use That's it. an interesting. Uh, and then you use function it twi- there. And then you use it twice more. Um, and we were also running for Karn the Great Creator because that shuts off your opponent's artifacts. 
So even if you don't have the Guardian Beast, if they get past the, the Wish Claw, they can't do anything with it. Oh, that's so sick. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm convinced that a a demonic tutor on a stick you can use three times is going to get there because they will keep printing stuff that interacts with it in a quasi-broken fashion without thinking about it much. And so it probably will show up in modern in a solid slot at some point. Um, it'll lurk on the fringes for a while and then Sam Black or somebody will figure it out and it'll get busted and start showing up in top eights. And even if it doesn't, then it's going to see legacy plus casual plus extended, I mean, plus uh, EDH demand um, because there's all sorts of ways to abuse it and say Brea and all of the other black tinged artifact decks um, or just decks really, that are sacrifice based. I really want to say that this is would see play in modern because you would pair it with like main deck pithy needles or sorcerer's spyglass <laughs> and then that way your opening pithy needle or spyglass would always just name wishclaw talisman so your opponent couldn't do it and then you'd play yours and activate it but both of those have a equal effect a symmetrical effect um but if there is something like that floating around where you can just sort of blindly shut off your opponent's wish claw talismans but not your own um that's the sort of like that's the same type of strategy as playing four chalice of the voids main deck in like eldrazi like oh i'm not going to play one drops so instead of sideboarding my chalices in i'm just going to play the main and just annoy everyone immediately uh being able to have that option with Wishclaw Talisman would be sick. Now I'm kind of wondering what's out there. Well, like picture but, in any picture a blue flyer, two two flying flash. Your uh, permanence you control cannot uh, be taken over by opponents. Mm-hmm. You know something with that 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 same Guardian B style language would just activate Wishclaw Talisman. Or at the beginning of your end step, gain control of all permanence you control. Something like that. Um, we already, I mean, that that is sort of a green card. There's a land that does it, but it's never been in, it was only in Commander. And there's a creature that does it, Brooding Saurian, but he's only, that's only creatures, well, and just, I think. Well, and when we talked about it with Daniel Fournay last week, he was saying that it was going to be uh, an Ad Nauseam card, which it already has been. It's already 5 would in Ad Nauseam. Because Wait, was I saying it was going to be an Ad Nauseam card, or was he? I think we... I think I said that. I'm not sure which of you brought it up. And me. both agreed. The... Um, <laughs> Definitely is an ad nauseum card. Definitely has already five o because the other way you can use it is just use it in a deck where you're just planning on winning before they get to use it. <laughs> so you you put a three mana tutor on the table that goes and gets the card you need. Mm-hmm. It could just be good enough. There's a lot of decks I, in modern yeah. that can go off the same turn they do that. Definitely, I like the card for sure. I definitely like the card. I think eight bucks for the for the extended art non foils is kind of uh, appealing because the modern players are going to be on board with that. EDH players who don't want to spend 60 on the foils can get a cool-looking version of the card for 8 bucks. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see some effect either discovered or eventually printed that allows you to really uh, break the symmetry, the supposed symmetry of the card. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to go a different direction here, uh, just to try and cut, you know, diversify. Uh, but I did notice that Vizier of the Menagerie is starting to look pretty juicy. Uh, Vizier of the Menagerie, if you don't recall, is the mythic from Amonkhet, four mana, three, four. Um, you can always look at the top card of your library. You can always cast 
the top card of your library if it's a creature and you can spend any mana to cast creature spells. Uh, so basically you can always be casting the top card of your deck if it's a creature, regardless of what the color your mana looks like. Um, it's in about 6,000 EDH, EDH rec decks right now, which I think is pretty uh, pretty decent. And uh, more recently, we saw it show up in uh, Tulane. Tulane is one of the new commanders um, who is making use of Vizier of the Menagerie because the deck wants to kind of like loot creatures a lot. So he's uh, he's pushing new attention to Vizier. Then on top of that, um, you know, we're looking at the foils at around $12 here. There's, I think, 25 copies on TCG Player right now, like 25 foil copies, period, um, with a pretty nice ramp somewhere in the middle there. Um, you can pick up a handful of these at 12 or 13, and then it jumps up to 18 or 19 after like a couple play sets. So we're looking at a card that's reasonably popular popular already. We have a new commander adding to the demand. This is just going to keep draining. Um, I don't, you know, it's reprintable, but I don't know where and why they would bother. There's a million other cards they should reprint first. Um, I mean, if they did like another conspiracy or battle bond, you might get caught out on this one because it's that type of card. But other than that, I think this is uh, pretty golden to keep rising up towards 20 and 25. Yeah, I can buy that easily. I think pretty sure we talked about this maybe like a year ago or so, and it's just been steadily draining from there. Not the kind of thing that they are likely to reprint anytime soon. Probably gets a few more years. Real solid. Yep. Nothing exciting, but it works. All right. You've got a couple more extended arts for us here. Uh, okay. So my the other two that I think uh, are also... And honestly, I could have gone 10 deep because a lot of them are in the same boat and are exhibiting similar... Have similar demand profiles that are mostly EDH-centric with some potential in modern. Um, and are all in all the rares are in and around forty dollars, and most of the mythics are somewhere between sixty and one hundred and twenty. Um, so let's dive in on a mythic. This is probably the one that I think is most undervalued. Embercleave uh, extended foil mythics, only available in the collector packs. Extremely rare, as we're going to go through some of the math in segment four. And I think a buy price of around fifty dollars, fifty-five, maybe even sixty is just fine. Expected to hit eighty or ninety within the year easily. It's a consideration for top 10 EDH cards in the set. Um, definitely don't want to sleep on an equipment that has that functions as a combat trick because it has flash and gives a creature double strike. There's a bunch of decks like uh, Godo that can make excellent use of this kind of thing. Um, and there will continue to be uh, more and more equipment interactions as time goes on. Uh, and I think that the foil mythic extended foils are the rarest cards in the uh, Throne of Eldraine product line. All right, we will we will come to that point in a bit. Uh, but Embercleave the card is certainly a powerful equipment. Uh, one, one, double strike and trample does a lot of work for certain creatures, of course. Um, you get a free equip off of it. You know, you can play it for two. So... Uh, well, it may look cumbersome on the surface. It seems pretty reasonable for EDH, and that is actually supported pretty well. It looks like it's like the 12th most popular card for EDH right now out of Eldraine. Now, I don't know exactly how reliable this positioning is going to be, um, but that that clearly means that people are interested in playing Number Cleave in EDH at least, uh, and it's even ahead of stuff like Mirror Maid, 
uh, and honestly, it's ahead of Fabro Elder, actually, which I find kind of shocking. Uh, I don't know if that'll hold, but still definitely doing better than I would have guessed. $50 for this might seem steep, uh, but I think once people listen to the discussion in segment four about the relative rarities here, it will start to make a little more sense. So I think you, you, we could have picked extended art cards all night long here and been happy about all of them. So we'll, we'll have to go with what we have listed here. But, you know, across the board, these all look pretty juicy. Yeah. And the thing is that if we're early, we're not early by much. Like, normally you wouldn't be telling people to run out and buy foil rares and mythics from a set, a fall set, a week after release. That's just not when we do things. We wait six to eight weeks and see how low they can drop. You want to pick off the things that are going to be great long-term, that nobody needs short-term for standard, and so on and so forth. But this is a different situation, because as I said, most of the collector boosters that are going to get opened are being opened or have been opened. You know, people pick up, they got their 12 packs in the mail that they pre-ordered on eBay. They got their one pack with their booster boxes and cracked them. And these packs are famous for being very high variants. So a lot of players are going to play the lottery a couple times. And unless they do really well with it, they're not going to be motivated to keep cracking. Because you can get blown out really easily. The variants in these packs can be as little as $10 or $20 in value on a $30 pack versus like a few hundred. So it's a true scratch ticket. These are very, very high variants. And as a result, I think it's going to turn players off of them. And then they'll do it a few times, get bored of it, and move on to other things. And, you know, any of them they, they leave lying around is just less product that's cracked and sitting in the market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And you have one more for us. So it's really two or even three. I think the green, the blue, and the black castles are all pretty much in the same boat. They're available in the 35 to $40 range. Let's say, for argument's sake, that I'm picking Castle Garen Break here, the extended foils, um, to go 40 to 60. I think that's just a lock. And I think it's also true of Lothwain, which is actually technically ahead of right. Garen Brig on uh, EDH Rec right now. And it's probably uh, true of Castle Vantress as well, which is already showing up as uh, a one of in control decks in modern and will probably be a long term staple in EDH as well. Um, it's right there in the name, James Castle Lothwain. It's a lock, you know? It's a lock, lock to do well. Um, all of these castles are good. Um, these three are the best. And th there just aren't going to be that many of these around down the road. And G Garenbrig is a Temple of the False God, like part two. And the decks that want that will be very happy to get it. That, that piece of ramp that it lets you kind of transition into your two medium range spells per turn kind of thing in EDH makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, Castle Lothwain is, I'm going to wonder if I'm, I am going to be annoyed that I know I'm pronouncing it wrong every time I say that card name, uh, is a little ahead of Garen Brig, but they're both, you know, basically the same boat. And I think I like Garen Brig more long-term as well, since it adds, it's a land that taps for Tubana, which is just excellent. Um, also the Lothwain punishes you for having land cards in hand which you generally do or want to do in edh uh but they're both definitely great pickups if you can grab them in the 40 dollar range because you figure the pack foils of these would be like 15 10 to 15 anyways and there are going to be so many fewer extended art foils of these lands they also look fantastic the art is really good on this cycle of castles and they look incredible when foil extended 
the um, someday they're going to print some black commander that performs better when you're at low life total than at high, and this will just turn into an auto include, like one of the first five cards in the deck. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely. I mean, there are definitely commanders who this land like is unquestionably good for. You know, the commanders that encourage you to dump your hand, anyways. All right, so before we jump into the math that led us down that path, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on in the you know modern uh, leagues uh, online. That we've got all this MTG all of modern sorts. league is something. <laughs> I mean, there's a, is, there's did a you lot click of this link? Did you did, yeah, did yeah, you yeah. click this I've, link before? I've got it open. I've got it open. <laughs> okay. The but I mean, there's there's you know lots of leagues to go over. The yeah. uh, I'm not sure how they determined a top eight in the league. Is that even something that is that data anybody has access to? I I got me man. Hmm. Anyway, so there's a Death Shadow build here that is the usual stuff. You know, become a men's team or battle rage, Mishra's Bauble, etc. Um, nothing too exciting. The, the newest additions being Dreadhorde Arcanist, which is both a modern and legacy card, and has already made money. Then we've got the five-color elemental value, <laughs> um, which is built around, where is it? Risen Reef, of course. Um, it's got some Vesper Larks in there, four Voice of Resurgence, four Unsettled Mariner, four Thunderkin Awakener, Spike Bellows, Smoke Braider, Flamekin Harbinger, Flicker Wisp, Skele- Lightning Skelemental, just all the elementals. Mm-hmm. Every last, Every last one of them. Um, this is fun to see show up uh it's a cool deck um and but i don't think that anyone expects it like clearly it's playable in modern but i don't think anyone expects it to be like a tier modern deck but the next one i think is really fascinating to talk about uh, which is blue black mill and i played mill at a gp before and did okay with it and every now and then it, it pokes its head out and does well um and we're seeing it here again and now it gets uh drown in the lock this is the new addition for mill here and this is the modal spell for full black yeah it's four up and it's counter a spell with less than or equal the number of cards in its controller's graveyard so basically if they're putting one card into their graveyard every turn this is basically always keeping pace. It's basically always a blue-black counter spell. And you can also, it's a destroy creature with the same ability. Uh, again, so, and that's based on its mana cost. So as long as they're not, as they're putting one card into their graveyard per turn and not exiling graveyard, this is essentially a modal either counter spell or destroy creature, which is two real powerful modes. Now, that is very relevant for the mill deck because the mill deck tended to play something like a combo deck that had a lot of trouble interacting um and giving them a card that's so versatile is going to be really helpful like being able to counter the one spell you need to slow down or kill the one tarmogoyf that's getting in your way uh, or, or you know is going to clock you out is really big for them uh, and the deck just keeps getting tools and getting tools and getting tools. Uh, it's also got Manic Scribe coming out of uh, Shadows over Innistrad, which was new since the last time I played it. Um, 
you know, it's also playing them as Mirror Orbs, which is pretty cool. Those aren't new, but I'm just kind of looking through the list. But I think our Archive Trap here was very close to being a pick of mine this week. And like, if I had to pick a like a third pick, it's probably Archive Trap. Uh, looks like copies are around 12 bucks right now, but this is still only printed in Zendikar. Mm. Like, that's it. Single printing. Yummy. Single single printing that, like, what are the odds that you're playing Mill and you're not playing Archive Trap? This is a, if you're unfamiliar, it's uh, it costs five. It's an instant, but it's a trap. If an opponent searched their library, you can pay zero to play Archive Trap, and they mill 13. 13. Teen cards and you play this by the way with field of ruin which destroy target non-basic land each player searches their library and then shuffles and guess what so even if your opponent it. yep even if your opponent doesn't search they still have to shuffle so drawn in the lock gives this deck a lot more a lot of ability to interact that they were missing before and field of the ruin can force archive traps which in the past you couldn't do easily um, you could path creatures, but the, your opponents could choose not to search, and then you'd just be stuck looking at three archive traps, wishing that they needed that land. But now being able to force the issue and just unload two or three archive traps at once if they kind of get in your hand, oh, th- this deck keeps getting better. And I think we're going to reach a point where suddenly it's too good. Uh, I-, I honestly would not be surprised to eventually see a card in Mill get banned. Because this is the type of deck that can be very irritating to try and sideboard against. Um, Like none of your traditional tools are good against mill. You have to come with a plan to beat it, uh, which is an ugly place to be in a format. Um, So I think the deck is is well positioned, basically. It either needs an upgrade, like say a, a better Hedron Crab that puts four in the graveyard per occurrence of something that happens frequently instead of three. Um, at the same casting cost, or it gets like a, a a combo card that allows you to kill someone out of nowhere. So if you get something that says, hmm. how, however many cards... That's, that's the three archive drop tra- draw. <laughs> well, but it could also be something like three mana, however many cards are already in the graveyard, knock that many off the top. Yeah, that's a five, that it does exist. It's a five it's, mana. Uh, five mana. Yeah, so if they get, if they get, if it keeps... As you said, it keeps incrementally getting better over the years. And the problem with Mill has always been that it's doing nothing until it's until it wins. It's it, you're there. Your your opponent is still drawing cards. They're still executing their game plan. The nice thing about Drown in the Lock is that if they're pressuring you with spells, it's giving you some defense in the same slot that could also be dealing with aggressive creatures. And that is certainly an upgrade. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it, it's a weird it's a weird strategy. It's a weird deck. Um... But I, I do think that, well, I've rambled about it. So I, I like Mill. That's where that's where I am. Seeing a bunch of different blue-red decks pop up in Modern lately. There's one here that's a Kiki-Jiki, Pestermite, Snapcaster Mage thing with Cryptic Commands, Bolts, Ops, Peaks, Remands, Spell Snares. I've also seen ones that are running uh, for Archmage Arch Charm, um, one of the left-behind cards in Modern Horizons that might still one day become a thing. Um there's a, there's a storm build that did okay in this league. There's the uh, Ilharg, the Razebor, um, Corio's Vengeance deck that we saw a little bit in the spring. Um, Ad nauseum running two Wishclaw Talisman in this league. Uh, I like the Generator Servant out of the Ilharg deck. 
yeah, yeah, Generator yeah. Servant is a card that has uh, not seen as much play as I feel like I expected it to upon release. This is a two mana, two one um, that you can sack to add two mana to your pool. And then if you use it to cast a creature, it gains haste. So you play this guy on two and then on turn three, you sack him for two mana along with your three, the three you already have. Now you're at five. You can play Ilharg. And because you use a generator servant mana, he has haste. So you swing with Ilharg as a six, you know, as a six, six trample haste, which also means you get to put into play attacking a creature from your hand. So it's actually a pretty nice one, two, three combo. Like turn two servant, turn three, or yeah, turn two servant, turn three Ilharg, putting in the play Emrakul. And you get to pair this with like the turn one Thoughtseize well, and to get rid of the one removal spell that they might have had. And they also run four Simeon Spirit Guides, so you can actually be a turn faster with Ilharg. Mm. Um, and uh, and, yeah. and this deck also had a, a one of, of the Wishclaw Talisman. Yeah. Yeah, because this is a type of deck that's just like, yeah, I'm going to play this, activate it, and then kill you this turn. And then speaking of Archmage's Charm, it showed up as a three of in the uh, Teamer uh, Scapeshift build that we've seen a couple times previously, 5 owing. Um, there's a red deck here that was running four Bonecrusher Giant. So The Twinless build? Yeah, th- this is Bonecrusher Giant, Goblin Guide, Monastery Swift Spear, Soul Scar Mage, Lava Spike, Light Up the Stage, Rift Bolt, Skewer the Critics. is classic red. Uh, running four. Oh, you're looking at a different event. Sorry. Uh, no, it's the same event. The, the thing you're looking at is just a snippet from the page I'm looking at. Oh, okay. Okay. I see what I, you're I'm, saying. I'm over here, partner. Um, about 10 decks in. So, I mean, if Bonecrusher Giant starts showing up in, say, a couple of different modern builds, if it's being underestimated as a standard only card, then the foil showcases are going to be money down the road like let's say that reduke just adopts it as a standard inclusion in jund and the other jund players agree that could be enough to make that a solid spec yeah and that puts you in a position where you might want the where those non-foil ones might be good the non-foil showcase cards because people are going to be playing them in modern and then that gets you the guys who the guys who like to foil their deck might want the non-foil showcase cards if they're cheap enough and all of the competitive players will still want those because I don't think that competitive players strictly don't want cool cards. They just understand that the not warping aspect is more important than anything else. Yeah. I mean, I guess all of these competitive players, if you think about it, they all have uh, a frequently cool basic lands that they carry around. You know, they have their preferred tokens or basics or whatever. So there's definitely still a touch of, like, I want my cards to be cool. I don't, I don't have any concerns about the extended arts <laughs> not being sellable. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are, you know, still Ice Fang, Quaddle, Giver of Rune stacks floating around. And both of those cards have, uh, some of the pressure has let off of them. And they are available at uh, prices that are a little lower than their peak. Oh, oh God! A... I... Can I? Go ahead. <laughs> Are you looking at this list by Nuke Launch? Uh, no. Four Okos, mm-hmm. two Teferi Time Ravelers, mm-hmm. uh, a Gilded Goose, <laughs> four Ice Fang Quaddles, uh, some Spell Queller and Stoneforge Mystic Action, 
a little force negation, some astrolabs, a sort of feast and famine and better skull for Stoneforge, but four Okos and two Teferis, four Ice Fang Quaddles. That's, oh man, that is a deck right there. There's also three Oko Thiefu Crowns, two Bitter Blossom, two Birds of Paradise, a Brazen Borrower, four Fairy Seer. That's the common fairy out of Modern Horizons that people forget about. Three Gilded Goose, four Ice Fang Quaddle, four Ingenious Infiltrator, four Spell Stutter Sprite, two Vendillion Click, Cryptic Command, Drown on the Lock, four Fatal Push, two Force of Negation, one Spell Snare. What if the magic community is wrong about Throne of Eldraine? <laughs> and it is actually almost as staple rich as Modern Horizons. I mean, not Modern Horizons. Almost as staple rich as War of the Spark. Something. I mean, people said the power level was really high. That wasn't the issue. We, but, I, I think I, the power level seems very high on uh, several cards. It seems like it might not be the deepest, I think, was the impression we got. Yeah, but compared to the Ravnica sets last year, there's way more throne cards being tested in modern right now than there were from that set. Yeah, I'm not... I don't remember the results from that point in time. Uh, that doesn't sound like it's necessarily incorrect. Well, and what if Gilded Goose is actually a modern playable card because Oko is a modern playable card? That would be something else. That I, I have trouble believing that's right. I mean, this deck is also but running maybe. four Ice Fang Quaddle, four Ingenious Infiltrator, another Modern Horizons card. Four spell stutter sprite, two Vendillion click. Like, <laughs> wild. And okay, wait. I got one for you. I got one for you. I I'm looking at this list and I honestly can't really figure it out. I'm starting to put the pieces together. It's Jason uh, one Jace, the mind sculptor. Oh, we have two Okos. Okay. We have two Teferi Time Raveler, the three mana guy. So some Oko action, some Teferi action, one Ren and six. Uh, and then four Sahili Rai, the three mana one from Kaladesh. That's 10 Planeswalker cards. The four Sahili Rai pair with the four Felidar Guardian. So we have the Felidar Guardian combo in here. Um, we have four Othanissas to find all of these Planeswalkers and also be able to cast them. You've got some Ice Fang Quaddle action. And then this is where it starts to get odd, where, you know, it starts to really take a, a left turn is it's got Search for Tomorrows and Sakura Tribe Elders and primeval titans and it's also got a field of the dead package so you have a sahili rai felidar guardian package paired with six other planeswalker cards and also a top end of primeval titan plus field of the dead that's got a lot of action so you're either getting buried in card advantage from planeswalkers or you're getting comboed out from felidar guardian or you're losing to an army of tutus so this has got a lot of angles and the thing is oka was popping up all over the place there are yeah there's a salt tide build here jace the mind sculptor four karn the great creator four liliana of the veil and three oko thief of crowns <laughs> like siri make me a list of planeswalkers i fucking hate jace yeah, the mind sculptor karn liliana oko and then four ice fan quaddle four tarmogoyf three inquisition three thoughtsies four fatal push four arkham's astrolab four utopia sprawl that just looks tight and nasty 
he's, you know, I got to be honest. I looked at this card and I'm like, I remember when he was, the day he was spoiled and people are like, eh. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we, we pivoted a little bit and people are like, okay, this is actually like people started, you know, proxying and testing it in stand. People are like, okay, this card's actually really good and standard. And then it turned to, wow, I think this is the best card in standard. And then it turned into, I don't want to have to play against this card in standard. I'm already sick of it. And, but like and people were like, maybe it's good enough for modern, but like, you know, this is a, a, a manipulated list of results, Yeah. but this is still a lot of different versions of decks yes. playing Oko. Yes. Like, like that's what's happening here is you're seeing several different strategies. I mean, we've just read off three or four right off the bat, um, and, that are playing the card. And, and some of these will decide that they're not good enough, period. So, cause they're yeah. new archetypes yeah. people were trying to build around. Some some of them are going to cut Oko because it's not the right card. And but I suspect when you have this level of testing for a card that is known to be this powerful, and people have continuously underestimated three mana planeswalkers this year. Narset, Teferi, Oko. The the Royal Scions are probably underrated too. They're just not getting it. When you have high loyalty and relevant abilities and the the uh, the number of different interactions possible in each of those cards you have a recipe for powerhouse staples. Here, here's another interesting development, is that the Fae of Wishes Fires of Invention combo package from uh, Standard, where you basically play Fires of Invention and then Fae of Wishes for whatever it is you want to be casting for free against your opponent, um, has made its way into Modern. Um, you know, uh, Fournier said, no, no, there's like, you've already got Electrodominance and all this other stuff, as for Tooled, and if that didn't get you there, then Fires of Invention won't get you there. Okay, he can say that, but people have been 5-0-ing with lists constantly since As Foretold became a thing, and it's still going on. And and as with, you know, Mill eventually hitting a tipping point being somewhat likely, you know, this model of deck probably does the same thing. He, this list that went 5-0 is 2 Jason Mind Sculptor, 3 Fae of Wishes, 4 Greater Gargadon, 4 Simeon Spirit Guide, 4 Ancestral Vision, 4 Crashing Footfalls, Card to Watch, Super Cheap. Three Restore Balance, four Electrodominance, four Chalice of the Void, four As Foretold, and three Fires of Invention. And then in the sideboard, they've got all the silver bullets, right? Because the Fae of Wishes can go get them. So it's Restore Balance, Blood Moon, Engineered Explosives, four Leyline of Sanctity. Pretty nice to pull your Leyline in mid-game and get to drop it for free under a Fires of Invention. Mm. Narset Parter Avails, mm-hmm. Sorcerer Spyglass, Anger of the Gods, Defense Grid, Finale of Promise, Magnetic Sinkhole, Shattering Spree, and Tormod's Crypt. It's like the who's who of Silver Bullets in Modern. So is this a Tier 1 deck? Probably not. Um, but that doesn't matter. From our perspective, we care about what people are going to take to their LGS. And these decks look super fun, super viable. There are there arguably are 30 fun decks you could take to LGS and surprise your local crew. It, at the very least, even if they're not top tier decks, people are going to see them and and think they look fun and want to give them a shot. Uh, which is really all you need to sell this stuff, right? Like you don't have to have a absurd, this, the deck doesn't have to be top tier for it to inspire people to play it. It just has to look fun and be cool. And people will play it in modern and play it at FNM because I mean, your FNM modern scene, I'm sure is just packed with tier three decks that people play because they look fun. I mean, shit, I used to do it all the time. So I, I got to tell you, I picked up one Oko today, one of the borderless foil Okos, and now I'm wondering about 
going back and seeing what else is out there. Well, and and here's another thing to keep an eye on. The, the testing of whether Mystic Sanctuary is as busted as some people think in modern. So here's the Taking Turns version with Myst- for Mystic Sanctuary. One Chandra Torch of Defiance, one Jace Balaran, two Jace the Mind Sculptor, and two Narset. So the control Planeswalker package. Two Simeon Spirit Guide to get them down faster. Two Exhaustion, four Savor the Moment, a card that's going to make me a ton of money. Four Serum Visions, four Time Warp, two Cryptic Command, two Lightning Bolt, one Op, three Howling Mine in Modern. Two Dictate of Crufix, and four Fires of Invention. So again with the Fires of Invention. And then two Castle Ventress in, in the Land Mix. And the whole thing here is you, you just basically start using Mystic Sanctuary to start putting Cryptic Command back on top or Time Warp back on top every turn. And then the game's just yours because you drown them with your Planeswalkers. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Oh, and, cool. and that was LSV's list, by, by the way, who 5 would oh. with it. Well, that's, that means something. Which was probably a Channel Fireball video stream as a result that I haven't watched yet. Yeah, if people were, if people noticed, uh, follow me on Twitter, which, I mean, you should be because... He's the coolest. Obviously. Yeah, great. I'll, if you want. Dashing good I'll looks. If you want. Fashion Although sense. People... Good taste in beer. Strong social politics. Uh, all things you're going to get instead of magic. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I did, I did see LSV actually tweet uh, opening hand from this deck, and it had the savor the moment and fires of invention, uh, and I, I gasped. I think I audibly gasped, and I'm like, oh, I see. And I immediately started going to all the stores where I have store credit and buying savor the moment because it's only ever because been once. Yeah, Savor the Moment is a one-time printing from Shadowmoor that's already had a run on it. So prices are kind of high. Supply has been drained. Like any free copies that were in people's collections or binders were already already dragged out. Um, but the Savor the Moment, the three amount of time walk that you don't untap your lands. But Fires of Invention doesn't care about your lands being untapped. So you turn four or turn three Fires of Invention and then just immediately cast Savor the Moment. And now you just get a free turn. And like maybe on turn three, you play your Narset or something um, or your Jace Bellerin. And then on turn four, you can activate it and then fires Saber. And then in Mystic, in Mystic Sanctuary, it's just over. Uh, wait, hold on. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you have to find a way to recycle it, uh, which I don't think he has... There's no loop in here that I'm seeing for the Mystic Sanctuary other than Cryptic Command, but you don't have a way to recur spells from your graveyard, but you can definitely still do it a couple times, right? And once you get a Planeswalker or two going, now you are like, right, like you're taking a couple extra turns and you're just generating so much value. Even if you're, even if both the spells you're using every turn are used to perpetuate your turns your planeswalkers are building an advantage the whole time you're going Wait, so you, you, i think you just I, you just need to savor the moment time warp exhaustion etc long enough to find cryptic command plus mystic sanctuary and then it's over is that is that a hard lock oh yeah because you you can return uh mystic sanctuary to your hand and tap all creatures your opponent controls or counter a spell and then just keep doing it 
Because well, because okay, then but because then because actual hard lock. Well, then then you play Mystic Sanctuary and you get the Cryptic Command back on top of your library. You draw it and go out, keep going and going and going. I mean, that's a Cryptic Command loop. I, when I'm thinking about a lock, I'm thinking like, oh, there's a way to Mystic Sanctuary the Savor the Moment to the top of your deck every turn. Mm, I think- now that's a lock. If you have a way to bounce the Mystic Sanctuary to your hand every turn that doesn't require you to play a spell. Like if we have a Planeswalker who has a plus one of return a a permanent you control to your hand or something like that, there's your hard lock. I'm not sure what... And I don't know if that exists. I I think it's just about like using Fires of Invention to keep taking extra turns until you find the, the Cryptic Lock. Yeah, oh, I'm not saying that the Cryptic Mystic Sanctuary isn't good enough. I'm just thinking in terms of like, you know, that's very good. It's not your opponent literally doesn't get to play magic. It's they have to deal with the Cryptic Command every turn. But it's still real good. In any case, this is this is a, a rough draft of the deck. If this deck exists, it's probably going to take a while. It's going to take some tweaking to figure out what the right version of it is. But I definitely like Savor the Moments at like 6 to $7. I understand if you're reluctant. Like this is a this is, is as close to speculation as one gets in this field. But supply on this is so low. And if it turns out that this is a real deal, people are going to be flipping their lid for it. Here, here's a blue-red deck that uh, uses three copies of the aforementioned Royal Scions as the only Planeswalkers. Four Snapcaster Mage, four Thing in the Ice, four Serum Visions, two Blood Moon, a Braid, Cryptic Command, Force Negation, Lightning Bolt, Magmatic Sinkhole, Op, Command, Spell Snare, one Mystic Sanctuary in that deck, and then a bunch of Blue Red Lands. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Uh, Most of the rest of this is stuff you would expect. Uh, the usual, you got some Dredge, you got some green white creature combo you got some affinity creeping back into the format it looks like um yeah i mean modern looks plenty healthy we'll see if paradox uh urza is just tier 0.5 um as things play out here let's move on to our fourth segment i want to go through some of the uh (laughs) fairly complicated math around throwing a bell drain um and it's the appearance of certain kinds of cards in various portions of the product mix. Um, The reason we started going down this rabbit hole is because we're trying to understand which of the various things we could potentially be targeting. So for instance, showcase uh, alternate art uh, cards that appear in all the products versus say extended art rares and mythics that only appear in the collector boosters. You know, how rare are these cards actually versus the stuff that we have come to expect from magic boosters like rares mythics foil rares and foil mythics um and even things like masterpieces um which some people might remember but probably don't that say in kaladesh a masterpiece invention appeared in one out of every 144 packs or so um, which was actually less than a foil mythic, which is like one out of every 216 packs. So they were actually less rare than a pack foil mythic, um, which is an interesting baseline because we know how both pack foil mythics tend to perform if they're good cards uh, price-wise over time. And we know what happened with the adventions where they made us a whole bunch of money. So 
One of the things that was interesting um, as we were going over some of the big data from some of the teams that opened thousands of boxes in Europe, they shared some of the data with us at MTG Price Pro Trader that we made available to our members. And basically what they boiled, they broke down for us was some curious stats. One of them was um, the ratio between uh, showcase versions of rares and mythics versus show, uh, non-showcase versions. I had kind of assumed when they announced it that it was going to be a one-to-one because in the Japanese boxes of War of the Spark, in 36-pack boxes, you typically get 17 or 18 of the Altar Planeswalkers. So I figured they were going to go again with the 50-50 mix, which would mean that um, the card overall had the same overall print run, but you had only 50% of either of the arts. So if one of the art versions was clearly superior to the other and became preferred, it would actually be like the market the the market presence of the card had shrunk um, by 50%. Um, but as it turns out, the ratio is even more outlandish than that, and the ratio is not the same at rare as it is at mythic. So there are only five foil um, showcase rares in Throne of Eldraine, um, one in each color. Uh, Murderous Rider, Bonecrusher Giant, um... The white guy that destroys a creature power for a greater or something. Um, Fae of Wishes and what's the green one? Uh, oh, shoot. I can see the uncommon one. Is that Goldilocks? No. Not Goldilocks. Anyway. <laughs> The ratio for those, the drop rate, um, for every one regular Fae of Wishes, for instance, uh, sorry, for every 2.5 Fae of Wishes, you will only get one of the um, alt art. So if you open thousands and thousands of boxes and you would normally pull out a thousand copies of Fae of Wishes, um, you'll get another 400 copies that are extended art. And that's curious because it means that um, what they found was that you actually get more, you pull a rare that has two versions more overall than you normally would. So then they realized, well, that means that the other rares, the other 48 out of 53 rares in the set, must necessarily appear less often than they normally would. Because um, there's only one rare slot that non-foil uh, rares can appear. And if some of them, the the showcase art, are appearing more often. That means it, they must have put less of the other ones. And I think it has to do with the way that the print sheets are organized, where they they had a print sheet for the, the showcase cards and a print sheet for the rares. And what they did, knowing that they had to blend in the showcase print run, was just print less of the rest of the rares. And so what that means is that the rares that had both versions appear on both sheets. So they just have more copies. Um, and the bottom line after all of it is that basically there are 4% less of something like a Fires of Invention in regular Throne of Eldraine booster packs than there are something like a Fae of Wishes. But only um, out of 1,400 Fae of Wishes, only 400 of them will be the showcase art, which is, in the case of that particular card, far, far superior. And it's probably also the card that matters the most cross-format because we just saw it show up in modern lists. We know it's good in the Fires of Invention package of the standard. Um, Fae of Wishes doesn't really have a home in Commander because of the lack of a wish board to use. 
um, but it will probably also be popular with collectors and casually um, where it can still get, do good things. Um, so if you're looking at the, you know, the 1400 total copies you're pulling out uh, of a large volume, for instance, and that's just a random number, I'm just using it to express the ratio, then of the total amount you pull, about 29% of them will be the showcase art. So that makes them significantly more rare than the normal ones. And, and I think that that will matter and it's worth keeping in mind. Now, when we get to the mythic side of things, it's even worse. It's closer to 7.5. So that means that the foil showcase uh, Realm Cloaked Giant and Brazen Borrower are extremely rare. One of the rarest things ever printed into Standard. And I went ahead and snapped off a $62 copy of the foil extended Brazen Borrower as a result because it seems like it's going to be very, very difficult to find those down the road if Brazenboro even sees a modicum of play um, across modern and EDH. And I ended up grabbing, I think, a play set of the uh, Realm Cloak Giant at like 26 bucks for the uh, for the foils. And that's a um, the, the foil showcase card. Yeah. Uh, you know, on the assumption that basically... It's so there's so few inventions below twenty dollars and realm cloak. You know this is seemingly considerably more rare um, and has a chance of being good in standard and possibly EDH. You know I'm not going to expect it in modern or play, but it definitely seems like it could work in either location. So basically, even though the foil drop rates are significantly higher, about fifty percent higher, starting in core twenty twenty, the um, showcase foil mythics something like 560 boxes to get open to find one because you have yeah, like that is old you have like point a lot of boxes you have like 0.216 foil mythics per box um you have so you need about five boxes to find a foil mythic and you need 75 boxes therefore to find a specific foil mythic because there's 15 mythics in the set and then basically to find if you want to find a showcase foil mythic, we know that those are they only appear seven once for every seven point five regulars. So you can multiply the seventy five boxes by seven point five, which gets you your five hundred sixty two fifty uh, boxes per showcase foil mythic. They are, and even if some of that math is a, is shown to be a little wonky, take my word for it, they're very 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 rare. So right, you're still you're still like in this right ballpark with this, even if you're not exactly correct. Yeah, and and keep in mind that you know, if you're saying that you need uh, a whole bunch of packs <laughs> for a showcase foil mythic, it's actually it's way more packs than you needed to find um, a masterpiece, because a masterpiece was in one in every 144 packs. So you can compare it to the number of inventions, for instance, in the inventions list and and run the math and you'll find that the showcase foil mythics are very rare indeed. Now, I think that the Brazen Borrower is much more likely to say, see play than the Realm Cloaked, Giant, Realm Cloaked Giant, but it might ultimately not make much of a difference because um, collectors might just gobble up what's available. It might just be like dude, yeah. dudes like my dad that barely even play Constructed that are just buying it because they need one to finish a set so that they can throw it in a binder and never look at it again. 
Yeah, I, I I lean slightly in the other direction. I think I like Realm Cloaked a little bit more than Brazen Borrower, but Brazen Borrower is also a weird card that's hard to evaluate. Um, so I could accept that that's just me being bad at reading that card. Uh, it's got that hallmark of like a decent looking card with a lot of weird moving parts. Um, whereas Realm Cloaked Giant's a little more obvious. Just it's a Wrath. A play, it looks like a playable standard Wrath that also has the added ability that you get a body out of it, uh, which is definitely good enough in some standard formats i don't know about this one um but then also in edh it's a wrath that you can possibly recur again i don't know if people are going to need it that badly but it's an option anyways in any case like you said the rarity is so rare so that's four times more rare than a invention like that's a that's rare right we said i'll have to double check that because the the inventions are show up any given one one in 144 packs right Mm -hmm. so to get a specific one you have to multiply that by the the 144 by the number of inventions so that's oh okay right um so wait 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 wait. no no, because you're saying an invention was only one invention in 144 packs yes so what every four boxes had one invention yes and the set size of those was 54, yes. Paladash Inventions was 54 different cards. So it's basically... Every 54, 216 boxes. 54 times 144 is 1 in 7,776 7, packs. Okay, so the, the the foil Mythic Showcase cards were like 1 in 500 and something packs, but there's only... Okay, let me... Two let me, of them. I've, I've got the math prep, so let me let me shortcut it for you. Any specific invention was one in 216 boxes. And we're saying that the showcase foil mythics are one in 562. So they're, so 56250 over 216. It's 2.6 times more rare than an invention. I mean, that's still pretty dang rare than any, okay. That is rare. Man, you see, what my takeaway here is that both Brazen Borrower and Realm Cloak Giant are like, they're fine, right? Neither of them is like atrocious, but neither of them are staggeringly good. But what I am curious about is what we're going to see in Theros. What are those foils, story, uh, storybook, whatever, showcase cards going to be out of Theros, those foil mythics? Because if they get like us i mean smothering tide is too much to hope for but like something good something with real modern chops or something that uh you know is definitely a edh staple mm, yep that is appealing and that's the point I'm, I'm gonna be writing up an article here because this math is not commonly available anywhere else saffron over at uh, goldfish is usually the gold standard for ev but he elected to not bother trying to calculate some of the complexities this time so there is a gap in the market where people don't have all the necessary information um there's another angle to this so let's flip it over and look at something else let's talk about the extended arts that rares and mythics that only appear in um the collector boosters so I put out a graphic last week for on behalf of MTG Price, uh, specifically for the pro traders, but we shared it with everybody else too. Um, keep in mind that the, the relevant slots in these packs are only the um, 
foil rare and mythic slot. That's the only place that you can get a foil extended art. And you get one foil rare or mythic in every booster pack of collector boosters, but they're $30 packs. So that's to be expected. Um, and the, the math works out so that let's say that you believe people were talking about collector boosters being printed basically one collector booster box for every 10 um, regular booster boxes of Throne of Eldraine because that was the ratio that was applied for LGSs in the Wizards Play Network in terms of how much collector booster support they were getting based on their order volume. So if you if your store ordered 100 boxes regularly of regular Eldraine, you were probably getting about 10 collector booster boxes. So people figured that was about the ratio, but you and I were talking, we figured out that that's probably wrong. It's probably more like 20 to 1, if not 30 to 1, because... Throne of Eldrain is going to be in print for the whole year, and we know the collector booster boxes are basically a one-shot printing that's being divided across four fairly scantily distributed products. So as we talked about earlier, it's the buy a box, people got one pack, you could buy 12 packs for somewhere between 3 and 350 on the open market, and those have mostly, for the most part, sold out. Um, there's the deluxe collection that comes with 16 packs, but we would figure they only sold a few thousand of those, so that might add... 20,000 more packs in the market total or something. <clears throat> Sorry, 16 times 3,000 would be something more like 48,000 packs or something. <clears throat> and then we know that the holiday gift packs might be another 50 to 100,000 units, maybe even more, um, you know, worldwide. And those have a single booster each. But I think that a, a relatively conservative number is to say that there are 20 times less collector booster packs than regular packs. And you can then start adjusting your math from there. So follow me on this little quest down a rabbit hole. First of all, we know that Wizards makes somewhere around, is a six or $700 million a year brand across all you know aspects of the Magic the Gathering brand. Primary market we're talking about, and we're talking about revenue that Wizards gets themselves. Not what wholesalers make, not what vendors make. So if Wizards, um, say, prints about 5 million boxes of Throne of Eldraine, that would mean that, and they get paid, say, $45 a box at wholesale, and I'm sure it varies depending on what part of the world you're in, it might be a $225 million project, which sounds-ish, like it's in the, it's in the ballpark, plus or, plus or minus 25%. Um, then that means that... If there are 5 million boxes of Throne of Train and there's 20 times less boxes of collector boosters, it means that there are 250,000 collector booster boxes, which is in the range of what makes sense based on all the big vendors we talk to and the wholesalers and how many boxes they seem to have available and how many they could ship us and how many got canceled along the way. That's a pretty reasonable ballpark number. So you need five of those boxes, we figured out, to get any specific foil extended rare. Remember, you're getting a foil rare in every pack. So in every box, you would get 12 minus the ones that are actually mythic foils. So what that means is that, trust me on the math, you need five boxes to get a specific foil extended rare. So that means that if there's 250,000 boxes printed and you need five boxes to find a specific foil extended rare, say a foil extended fires of invention, then there should only be 50,000 of those in the world. And if you believe that there are 5 million boxes of Throne of Eldraine, but not 
say only 70% of them are English, then you might want to take that into consideration. Keeping in mind that the collector boosters were only printed in English and Japanese. So that could push your ratio from 20 to 1 up higher. Um, and if there's only 50,000 rares, extended foil rares, and mythics are still appearing on a 1 out of 8 pack ratio, so that you're in a 12-pack box, you're, you're basically getting 1.5 foil extended mythics, then that means there's only 6,250 foil extended mythics, which is way, way less than we think there was of the inventions. Like, by a factor of two, maybe a factor of three. Because you and I eventually, originally calculated that there was probably something like ten to 20,000 of the masterpieces. Mm-hmm. So that means that um, Foil extended our Great Henge, for instance, which is going to be a EDH super staple and maybe see some play in modern. Um, there might only be six, less than six and a half thousand of those Foil extended arts. Less than, oh, that is so few. Worldwide. That is like unbelievably few. And it's, and it plays out. We, we can check, we can fact check some of this by taking a look at how many are available in the market. You and I poked around on the internet tonight. How many did we find? Almost none. Most major vendors in the US, at a time shortly after release when they should have copies for sale, they're already sold out. Part of the reason which is that they can't restock. Normally, with a product like a regular booster product, if they were selling out of a bunch, they would just buy more boxes and crack it and sell more singles. But they can't do that here because they're not allowed to order any more of this. So the market, any amount of demand pressure applied to the current supply is likely to outpace the resupply that comes from people, you know, passing in some cards from the deluxe collection purchases that they don't need, buying some holiday gift boxes, whatever, you know, winning some leftover packs at their F&M, et cetera, et cetera. When we started looking at how many of the foil mythics are actually lying around, it is very very few especially compared to how many for instance masterpiece soul rings we saw lying around back when that was a thing mm-hmm. you know we there was like 100 120 listings at this point when when kaladesh came out and ditto with the um uh the fetch the masterpiece fetch lands from zendikar the year before yeah they were not in super short supply at release um, I think they were averaging like 70 or 80 copies, both 70 or 80 vendors, like on TCG player at the outset. Right. Whereas if I'm looking at Great Henge on uh, TCG player, which is really the best pricing and the most populous, like the, the deepest inventory anywhere on the internet, including Europe and Japan. Um, I tried doing shopping over there and I did find some bargains, but it was very difficult to beat TCG for once, which suggests that everybody overseas had such little product available to them. Um, you know, a lot of LGSs in Europe had to cancel their orders because they didn't get enough from the distributors. Hmm. There are only 14 listings for Foil the Great Hand on TCG Player right now, and they start at 114, $119. Yeah, that is so few. I went, I immediately went to Channel Fireball after we started talking about this because I have a bunch of store credit there. And I'm like, I'll pay a lot of number. I'll pay over TCG because I have the store credit and like, I don't really care because I know the card's going to go up and there was 
they were out of stock. Like, and we're seeing so few stock at the vendor sites and minimal at TCG where people who cracked them in their collector's boosters this weekend. Like what this says to me is the vendors don't have any, right? Yep. They just don't have that inventory because they would have had to be cracking collector's boosters essentially to get it. And they're not because the variance sounded very high. And if you're a store, you'd much rather just sell the collector booster to your to your regular customers who are going to be very happy to have the opportunity to buy them, right? It's, it's, you don't, if you're the store, you don't want to correct the collector's boosters. You want to sell the boosters and then buy the cards the players open. Uh, but all these players who got the cards, some of them are listing them on TCG player, but that's going to be it after that, right? Like those are all going to get bought and then there's just going to be no more inventory in the market. Like there's nowhere else for these things to come from. Right. So get, let me give you another example. Rankle, master of pranks. Oh, that's probably not a big deal modern card. Probably not a, a thing that's going to show up in Legacy. It's a four-drop flyer flying haste creature. But the it's a mythic, just like the Great Hinge. And there are 16 listings on TCG Player. They start at $90. They go immediately up to $350 with a bunch of pit stops along the way because nobody knows really what to price it at. Where are you going to get this card? Yeah. If Also if, out of stock on Channel Fireball. If out of the six six and a half thousand. Like a third of them or a half of them are still sitting in the supply chain. So the to- of total, su- peak, you know, peak supply would be 60 or 70% of supply being in the market. We're definitely not there yet. But my point is that even though we're not at peak supply released, demand will probably just chew up whatever appears. I don't think you can get enough foil extended rankles into TCG in the next four weeks to push this card back down to say $50. And if, and if we do... It's a short-term blip. It will not last. Because Pat, even if I'm wrong about today being the day, four weeks from now or six weeks from now, I won't be wrong anymore. But then we truly will be past the downward pressure. We'll be past all the $6 packs that got, you know, where they ripped off Target or whatever and dumped their cards for less than they could have gotten on the market because they were so far ahead. Once you get out from under that pressure, there will be nothing holding these cards back. Yeah, and a lot, and the yeah. the, myth, the good mythics like Henge and Rankle could be three hundred dollars cards down the road, easy. Yeah, I mean, so you're you're starting to get to that point where you're running into the like limit for how much a card can reasonably cost, like the the mental limit of like how much yep. am I willing to spend type of thing, yep. uh, because the issue isn't the supply; it's just like Magic players don't want to spend that much money on a card unless it's like super tested, right? So that's the the challenge that you're going to have uh, because even though it's rare enough to earn it, do players want to spend $300 on a foil wrinkle? You know, yeah. like that's just probably not the boat that most players are going to be in. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I don't I don't think you want to try to ride your $90 wrinkle to 300, but you probably do want to try to ride a, one or two copies to 150 or something like buy list mm-hmm. is already at about. Uh, Card Kingdom's buy list credit is fifty eight fifty on those. That's pretty confident for something that just came out. Yeah, I mean the fifth so sixty bucks and like they're roughly ninety or so right they, now. So two thirds buy list credit is very good for opening weekend. And I, mean, and I don't expect opening weekend buy list credit to be like half or less. I, I don't think Masterpiece Soul Ring was even on the buy list at this point. Uh, that okay that's that i don't believe <laughs> that I, I don't believe i i 
pretty sure it's true because inventions could just be opened by cracking more Kaladesh. You can't do that here. There's no point. There's no point of resupply. Yes, I agree with you. I'm pretty sure people were buying, <laughs> uh, so, you know, invention soul rings. But so, so over in Europe, I can get a Frankel for seventy euro on MCM right now. Snap that off, right? Uh, seventy euro. You said. Yep. And what did we say the low on TCG was? Ninety. It's about. It's pretty close to the same. This is. It's about even, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a little less in Europe. So it's gonna be five bucks less. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a good number. That's for sure. Like, if if you, it, this is just a question of. It. This is tough because this is such a new product for us, and all of the numbers are telling us that this looks juicy. The challenge is like, okay. The rarity seems to be in place to send these cards skyrocketing, but we don't have a frame of reference for it. We haven't dealt with anything at quite this level yet. Uh, so I'm dipping my toe in with a couple cards. I know you've dipped in a little bit, but this is basically just a dry run for what we expect to happen with Theros. Yep. Because these price graphs are going to be real interesting to look at come Jan- middle of January when Theros spoilers are starting. And we can go, okay, let's go back and look at Rankle, which was like a you know foil mythic that was like, eh, you know, fine in EDH and not really impressive anywhere. He started at 90. Where is he in middle of January? Because if he's 140, 150 bucks, you know, and Theros just go hog wild. Because you know that like the cards won't have to be that good to, to spur a pretty good price movement. Well, and the other thing is, there's going to be a lot of competition to get your hands on collector boosters if this turns out well. Because currently, yeah, the high yeah. variance on those boosters has people fretting about whether to bother picking them up. But if enough of these cards start to push higher and it pulls the EV up, then they might start to think twice. Um, especially if that starts to be a story that we're, you know, us and others start talking about on a regular basis about how people were wrong about the collector boosters or the variance has narrowed or, or become more supportive at the bottom end. The, um, so, I mean, it could be really hard for us to get those $200 collector booster boxes next time. It might be us competing in the market at 300 plus again. The, yeah, it, it does seem like even if these all rise significantly that you won't see that impact that hard at theros release like we will have to compete with some people but the average person on the street i still think is going to be not completely caught up on it just because they're still going to seem so confusing yep that's true okay so like it's not like mythic edition where it's just very clear so let's compare the extended art drop rate based on my math to the um showcase foils so we said that there are probably 50,000 or so of the extended foil rares and only 6.25 of the extended foil mythics. Um, now, if you need like 75 regular boxes to find a specific foil mythic, which is true, then you need, you have something like six, and there's say 5 million boxes, then there are probably something like 66,000, 67,000 regular foil mythics. So those uh, extended art foil rares are more rare than a regular foil mythic, despite them being one per pack. The, okay, so wait, say that a second time. So I said that there are 50,000 extended foil rares based on this 20 to 1 ratio. 
okay. between the two versions of the set. You need 75 regular boxes to get a specific foil mythic, which means that there are 67,000 of each regular foil mythic. So we're comparing 67,000 to 50,000. Yeah. So yeah. The, the regular foil mythics are not as rare as extended art foil rares. So like calling them extended foil rares is wrong. They are uber mythics. And then the extended foil mythics are uber uber mythics to the nth degree. Now, you can also say that you need 562.50 regular boxes to get a showcase foil mythic, which means that there are probably only almost 9,000 showcase foil mythics. So the only thing close to as rare as the extended art foil mythics is the showcase foil mythics. So there are probably something like 50% more realm cloaked giant then there are uh great henge foil extended say that again there's probably 50 percent more brazen borer and realm cloaked giant foil showcase mythics than there are extended art foil mythics yeah so the 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 extended art foil mythics are the real are the rarest thing here. are the rarest thing in Eldraine. Second rarest it, thing is the showcase foil mythics, which makes sense. The hardest to find foil mythics are the hardest to find things. Yeah. And then it's the extended foil rares followed by regular foil mythics. Does that mean I wonder if that makes the extended foil mythics so not the special art cards, the showcase cards or the special art cards. Um, these are just the normal mythics from the set that have the extended art. I wonder if that makes them the rarest product, the rarest card ever released in a oh not like normal non, magic set. Non-foil showcase mythics are the rarest non-foil to ever appear in a regular booster pack because they the drop rate is seven point five to one. Yeah. And if people are wondering where I got that, the vendors that opened thousands of boxes counted how many of a mythic they got and how many of those were showcased. And at a certain volume, you get very close to being accurate and knowing the ratios. Yeah, yeah and even like even if it's not spot on, you're still you can still be within twenty percent. And still, all of this still makes sense. Yeah. All right, that is a yeah. lot of takeaways there. Now, if you think I'm wrong about the 20 to 1, if you think it's 10 to 1, then there are 100,000 of the extended foil rares, and there are 12,000 of the extended foil mythics. That's still, like, lowest end of our estimates for masterpieces, for the mythics. The rares would be something like four, in that case, the rares would be, extended foil rares would be something like four times more populous than you know, Masterpiece Soul Ring or something. Yeah. But their window of uh, opportunity for acquisition would be much more narrow. Kaladesh was on the market for two years. Booster boxes were easily available for $80. As I said, it works completely differently when the product disappears in three months. Mm-hmm. It means that mm-hmm. from an MTG finance perspective, your ROI accelerates much, much quicker. You get get in and get out in six months on these, and I think you'll be fine. 
specifically on the foil showcase, uh, the showcase foil mythics and the extended art foil mythics. Um, I mean, people that got in real early on some of those, like whoever paid 40 or 50 when Great Henge was announced and the foil extendeds dropped on some rando site somewhere, those like day one people are going to do very well here. Yeah, this is a, this is a tri- trial run. This is a good a good test to see how all of this shakes out. Don't beat yourself up if you miss the boat on some of these. Don't overpay because you feel like you have to get in. Yep. Just remember that Theros stuff is should be in the pipeline, and you know know what we're going to be looking at when that comes. And I'm I'm gonna file file an article this week. By the time this is released to the public mid-weekend the article will probably already be out so if you've heard if you're listening to this you can probably check mdgprice.com check the article section and you'll be able to read through the math in your own time fact check it anything you think is wrong throw your own numbers in there and, and come to your own conclusions yeah yeah and uh i'm sure people will take issue with it but uh for the most part i think most of this is just going to sort of honestly it's just sort of going to gloss over people people are going to gloss over reading it like this information is going to hit their heads and it's just going to slide off of their brain. And I say this as somebody who's also having trouble grasping it, um, but I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting closer. Uh, and I don't think people are even reading the article and listening to this are not everyone is going to appreciate what the rarity means. I mean, let me, let me give you the soundbite for Fox news. They made cards rarer than masterpieces. That's it. These, these are two of these things are more rare than we understand masterpieces to be. Yeah. Because, yeah. because masterpieces were, were never more rare than a pack foil mythic. Yeah. So these are, these are like, like these, these, I wonder which these are closer to inventions or Zendikar treasures. <laughs> hmm. No, we like don't, which we don't, end of the scale are they closer to? If I was to guess, I would say that the brilliant person behind Zendikar Treasures only really ever put like a hundred of it, like a hundred cards total out there. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of them were only worth like twenty-five or fifty dollars. Um, yeah, probably. And they got so much mileage off that. They 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 still are working that. It's probably the longest running sh- like echo campaign in Magic's history. Because you can still put those boxes on the shelf and claim that they're first run and people will pay you ridiculous amounts of money for them. Yeah, whether or not they actually are. <laughs> well, yeah. Now, and, well, you can and there's, check. And there's, there's check. plenty of debate as to whether you can actually establish if it is. Oh, is there? Yeah, because people, people have said that it was it. a serial number thing or something and other people say it's not. And some stores say, well, none of that matters because we know this is the case we put aside. So if you trust us, then this is, in fact, from oh, that boy. Era. Yeah. oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, you can play that game all you want, or you can just go ahead and buy these cards we told you to buy, and you're probably going to do just fine. Yeah. Yep. I'm in for an Oko for Realm Cloak Giants and uh, Dance of the Mance were what I was able to snag with my store credit. Dance of your man pants. Yeah. All right, James, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me online on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. And I am constantly haunting the MTG Price Pro Trader Discord, driving excellent returns for all of you folks that are looking to either save or make money playing Magic the Gathering. And I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter, Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I don't haunt the Discord, but I do make a point of uh, analy- synthesizing all the data that you guys put together 
James shows up and tells him what you guys all talked about. And I went, oh, okay. So thanks for doing all the work. I'm going to go buy cool <laughs> stuff now. So this is a, a good relationship we have here. Uh, synergistic. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Synergistic, parasitic, either way. Um, and I write every Monday at over at MTG Price doing the Watchtower series. I'll rel- remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service aforementioned. We're just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive those better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Um, We do have a winner here today. Who is our winner? Where did I put their name? Hmm. Where are you? It's right there. Hmm. Oh, I've lost you. No, it's right there. Oh, it's his, other side. oh I, I found it. It's his name is Smilek. Smilek, you have won a $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc. And uh, once again, MG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Wow. Would you like to read the last line of that paragraph that says, thanks, James? No, go ahead and, and read that part. You're stealing my bits here, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You don't hang out in the Discord, so I own all the all the paragraphs. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end works. of episode. Yeah, that brings us to the end of episode 189. I think this was a particularly valuable conversation for our listeners. Uh, it was a good time, and I will see you next week, James. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Not So Fast Finance and Way Too Much Math to Be Interesting. Have a good night, everybody. Mm-hmm.